Good evening. Try it again. Good evening. Hey, Shorty. I didn't have it on a minute ago. Now we're good. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Tonight we're going to be going back into what we had discussed last week. You may remember last week that we sort of sandwiched a miracle inside of another miracle. Last week we had talked about how that Jesus and the apostles had come back across uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, when there in Capernaum, they see um, Jairus, who was one of the rulers of the synagogue. Uh, Jairus's daughter was in, in such poor health to be near death. And so they walk to Jairus's house, but along the way, they run into, they come in contact with a, uh, with a woman along the way. And I told you, I said, we're not going to read that. We're going to skip that. We'll come back to that this week. But nonetheless, Jesus performs tonight's miracle during that time period, which was good for the woman he worked for, but it might have seemed bad for Jairus and for Jairus' daughter because perhaps if she's near death, why are they, you know, this delay could be a problem. In fact, when Jairus and Jesus arrive at the house, people come out and tell Jairus what? That she was already dead. But Jesus takes care uh, of that. And so... We kind of have two things happening uh, here, uh, here at the same time. And so we did that last week. And we're going to go back into Mark, specifically Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34 is where we'll be um, this evening talking about what happened with this woman sort of in between the Jairus story right there. And so we'll talk about that tonight. Um, the miracle of the woman with the affliction, the afflicted woman, the issue of blood. Again, a lot of these have titles that can be uh, applied to them. They're titles that are applied much later. Uh, as much as anything, to sort of help you remember what happened, you know. And so uh, the titles weren't applied by, <laughs> by Jesus. They weren't applied even by the writers of the, uh, of the, of the Bible. They were applied uh, much later to give titles, to break it down, to help understand uh, perhaps a bit better uh, what took place. But we're going to be talking about this. This is another one of the miracles that happens in three different, uh, three different books. Uh, you can see this in Matthew chapter 9. You can see it in Mark chapter 5. You can see it in Luke chapter 8. Nothing in John uh, for this one uh, as well. But we're going to talk a little bit about this woman Talk a bit about the situation. We are going to go back into the Old Testament tonight. We don't hardly ever do that on Wednesday night, but we are going to do that uh, a little bit here this evening. So if you've got Mark chapter 5, uh, marked, no pun intended, um, that's where, uh, that's kind of where we'll work from uh, to start with. But let's talk first about uh, this taking place. And this miracle takes place, Jesus was, as we said, in a crowd on his way to the home of Jairus. This was not an uncommon scene. Uh, we've talked a lot about Jesus, and as he had done more miracles by now, we're on number 16. We're almost halfway through uh, the miracles that we're studying and are recorded. But by this time, pretty much anywhere Jesus goes, the odds are there's going to be a crowd. And we had seen them sort of go to the opposite side of the sea in part to avoid the crowd. But you can't stay there forever. You've got to come back. And when they come back, 
they get into that crowd uh, as well. So a woman had suffered for 12 years from an issue of blood comes into the crowd behind Jesus, touched his garment, and is instantly cured. Now we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I want you to think about a time when you have been in a large crowd of people. It might have been at a ball game. But typically at a ball game, you probably have a signed seat, and you're in your seat, and there may be 20,000 people at Rupp Arena, but they're all sort of positioned where they are. Will and I, a couple weeks ago, were at um, Wrigley Field in Chicago, and we had a signed seat, you know, section you know, 300, whatever. The crowd was when we went to the subway afterwards, and there were 40,000 people trying to get on that subway. And that was what the crowd was. And I told Will, so we knew where we were coming, and we knew how we was getting up there at the top. I said, if we were, you know, if we were to get a space or two between us, we'll just stop right there at the top. But how many of you have ever been in a crowd like that, and you've been with somebody that you knew, and you kind of grabbed a hold of their shirt? Maybe kind of, or something like that. Maybe their pocket or their elbow or something like that. Why do we do that? To keep up with them, right? Because, you know, if I, don't, if I don't get a hold of this, they may... They might be gone through no fault of anybody's. But if you're the person who's walking in front and the person grabs you from behind, the elbow or the shirt, you notice that too. You're walking along and all of a sudden you say, what is that, right? Well, tonight we're going to talk a bit about how this woman grabs a hold of Jesus. And I think there's a couple things that are going to help Jesus notice. That there's going to be sort of the physical knowledge that somebody has pulled on, but there's also a different sort of recognition that I've been touched or pulled or whatever by somebody. We'll see both of those here uh, this evening. Jesus asks, and we'll see that in a second, who had touched him, the woman then has to reveal herself. And there's a story within that uh, here as well. I want to go back, though, to Leviticus chapter 15. Like I said, we don't spend much time at all on Wednesday nights with miracles because it's Jesus' life. We don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament but I do want to look at Leviticus chapter 15, in particular these verses. And we're going to have to read these here in just a second, but hold on for just a moment. Because Leviticus, what word do you see at the front of Leviticus? The word Leviticus. Levi. Levi, okay? Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it has, the tribe of Levi had a specific task. Do we know what that was? The they were the priests. They were sort of the people that were, in a sense, maybe the rulers, I guess you would say, the religious leaders. And so the book of Leviticus is full of rules when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the, the old law. Ben has talked about this before, but he said, and I, I, I may misspeak a little bit here, but he said something to the effect of, we think about like the Ten Commandments, but there was far more laws than that. And if you want to read about them, <laughs> open up Leviticus tonight. It's not always the most exciting reading you'll ever see if you go through Leviticus. But it'll break down laws for pretty much everything. Okay? Pretty much everything. And what we're going to look at here to start with is an example of a law that's sort of covered Something else. Leviticus 15, boo, 25 through 27.
the word unclean or some variant of that appears numerous times in these three verses right there. You'll see that word a lot if you read the book of Leviticus. Because there was these strict rules about cleanliness, about safety. There was things about food and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. How you prepared things. The cleanliness was a major focus. And so in this rule, uh, there, there was a, if, if there was this issue of blood uh, in this situation, that anything that this person, this woman uh, would sit on or lay on, would touch would be unclean. But we see there, it's only for, for a few days, but what we're going to see here is a woman who has suffered for a long time. Now I've looked at this, and I kind of studied on this to see what it was, and it's debated as to what the issue of blood would be. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on all this, but there's several things that were disputed or debated as to what it would be. But nonetheless, you think about whatever issue it might would be suffering anything for 12 years is a long time. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, here a bit this evening. Suffering anything. Most of us, how many of you, after you've had a cold for three days, are like, I wish it would just kill me. I'm done with it all day. That's three days with a cold. Well, imagine suffering something for 12 years, right? Well, then that would be almost impossible for us. And so think about, we do this quite a bit, I ask you to think about the person that's suffering. I want you to put yourself in sort of the place of this woman here this evening that's been dealing with this, but not only dealing with this, it's been 12 years, sort of the social ramifications of dealing with this uh, as well. Well, think about that tonight as we go forward. Some rules on this. I don't know if you can see this. I didn't make it big enough, and that's my fault. But she will come to Jesus trembling, for according to the law, she was considered unclean. Now, as someone who was considered unclean, you weren't allowed to be around people who were clean. Now think about in our sort of Bible study history, What's one group of people in particular that were often viewed as unclean? They had to announce themselves as unclean. Lepers. We, uh, we all remember that. We've covered that uh, a little bit. But if you were a leper, you had to be over here, right? You had to be out of the way because you were unclean. Well, it wasn't just lepers. There was any number of things. We kind of do the same thing today. If you've been sick with the flu and you walk up to me and just start calling on me, what am I going to do? I don't really want to be right there, right? We sort of have this sort of self-segregating ability even today. But back then, this woman should not have been, especially in this big crowd that Jesus was in. Now, it was awful, awful, unlawful for her to mingle with the crowd. And anyone that she touched would be considered unclean also. Now, I want you to go back to my example of Will and I getting on the subway, or you whenever you were a crowd. How many people have you bumped into in your life? Think you can count that number? How many people you bumped into? Not as many. Maria probably probably is in the lead on that. You might be sick all that time in New York. It's probably true. But if you think about all the people that you've bumped into, I'm sorry, excuse me, my bad, excuse me, that kind of thing. But all of those people in that situation that would have come into contact with her would have been considered unclean as well. That, that sort of tentacles out pretty quickly. So in order to be regarded as clean, the flow of blood would need to stop for at least seven days. It's not happening. For 12 years, she suffers with this. And because of this, she was in what we would say a perpetual state of being viewed as unclean, 
That would have isolated her, like we said, socially, because you couldn't, you know, if you can't hang out with anybody, if you can't be around anybody, it would isolate you religiously because, in part, you're violating the religious law, even though it's not your fault, but you're not even allowed to associate with those people in the religious group. Think about the synagogue from last week. You can't go there while other people would be there. It would have perhaps prevented her from marrying, or it actually could even be used as a grounds for divorce had she already been married. So put all of this together, and I want you to think about being her in this situation. She would have felt like a pariah. Sure, that's a good word, a, a pariah right there. I think she was at wit's end. Yeah. This is it was physically built, but it is driven her crazy. Yeah. Right, I think, I think you're probably, you could probably be right. So let's consider that. Just I, I wanted to hit the rules real quick. Just to know that this is not just somebody who's, you know, been down out for a little while. I mean, she realistically, legally couldn't even do the kind of things that she would have, uh, that, that she would have wanted to do. Now, I want to talk about one other thing before we get into our reading. And this is Jesus' clothing. You ever thought about what Jesus would have worn? Have you ever thought about that? How many of you are thinking about that for the first time right now? All right. Well, nobody's raised your hand, so I don't know. Maybe you might. Who knows? Think about what it is. Well, I want us to think about your clothing for a minute. Why are you wearing what you are wearing right now? <laughs> your wife bought it for you. All right. Why else? It was in the front of the closet. Yeah. You feel comfortable. All right. I want you to think back to the pictures of you from 25 years ago. Why were you wearing that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what did you say? It was a style. It was a style. I thought I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. Now, what about 50 years ago? Go back and look at those pictures. Yeah, we kind of look at it. Huh? I can't really get 20 years ago. Exactly. I was a little kid. But anyway. If you think about that, that stuff sort of changes over time. And there are things that we look at old pictures and we say, that's why I shouldn't have worn that. But Jesus' clothing would have followed along with a tradition. That's what I want us to look at right now. The outer garment that Jesus wore, this is what Ben read just a moment ago, would have had tassels or fringes on the corners as commanded by the law. I probably should have got a better picture but I tried to get one with the woman here as well. But you can see this right here. And you can see that right there. These little fringes, these tassels, these little things that sort of dangled off the edge. Maria, I see you shaking your head. You've probably seen Jewish people in New York that would still wear that. And, and, and some of us might as well. Ben, you wrote a book that I gave you a while back. A guy who tried to live a full year of doing, of following the entire law and how difficult it was. But that was one of his main things. They had to change his wardrobe. Right there off the bat. All devout Jews in the New Testament, of course in the, I guess, the Old Testament as well, but they had these tassels with a blue cord on the border to remind them of their duties to God. How many of you have ever heard somebody say to tie a string around your finger to help you remember something? What's magic about the string? But every time you look at your hand, what do you say? Gotta stop getting it. Right? Well, that doesn't make sense. That string means nothing but that. But it's some kind of reminder for you. That's what we see right here. But each time a Jewish person dressed or undressed, 
they would remember that they were God's chosen people. So when you take that off, you see those little strings like, what are that? Oh, I remember. I'm going to God chose it. Tomorrow morning when I put it on, like, oh, just that string runs through my head. Oh, oh, yep. Lord God's chosen. So those were memory tools, as it were, just a reminder to them. So this would have been something that Jesus would have had on as well. And it was this tassel upon Jesus' garment that the woman would have touched. Okay, so I want you to think about that here as we go forward. Question about the clothing right here. How many of you are how many of you are seeing this for the first time? You did not know this. Yeah? Yeah. And if you and, and, and again, I, if you're in especially a larger city, you'll see Jewish people that, that will have these kinds of things even uh, to this very day. But this is what we'll think about uh, as we go forward. Questions before we go into our study. Mark chapter 5, I think. Oh, wait, that picture. Uh, this is old, um, from the 4th century in Catacomb in Rome. Is that, uh, Marcellus. Marcellus. I was in Marcellus. I don't know if that was right. Uh, I like the second name. It's easier to pronounce people, So, uh, But this is uh, an example of that as well. So let's look at Mark. Again, we, we're not going to read the whole story all at once. We'll read it and we'll sort of break it down. Uh, here as we go. But this is Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Tom, do you care to read uh, to start for us here, sir? So we get a sense of sort of what this woman is dealing with. So first of all, I've already said it, but how long has she dealt with this issue? Twelve years. Twelve years. Her clothes are going style. We go back to what we're talking about. Right? It's a long time. But twelve years is a long time to have to deal with anything. Now, this was not just, well, what was me? What was me? We read in verse 26, had she made an effort to be cured? Absolutely. And it says, what, what did it say in verse 26 that she, that she had done? She'd spent all that she had at verse in 26. She'd suffered many things from many physicians. She'd spent all that she had. So I read that and I think, I don't have any, I've been to every doctor in the world. I've given all the money that I had. But the second part of the question, what were the results? No worse. No worse. Yeah. All of us have probably been in a situation before where we went to the doctor and they gave us a medicine or something and it just didn't work, right? There is nothing more frustrating than have to go back that second time, right? But usually the second time, maybe the third, that's some kind of fix for us unless we have some severely debilitating issue. But she had had no luck repeatedly for 12 years. And she had not just laid around hoping and praying, but she had actively tried to get this situation resolved with no luck. So what does she do when she comes near Jesus? She touches his garment right there. And the question then is, why? 